0: Welcome to America the Bizarre. I'm your host, Jordan Rausch.
1: And I'm Jeremy.
0: And this is a weekly history podcast that deep dives into all the stories that made America into the beautiful weirdo she is today.
1: Yes, and we love weird.
0: (laughs) Yes, we do. (laughs) So, I don't know. I mean, part of it's this episode, part of it's the season... But I've been thinking a lot lately about our trip to Vegas we took a few years back. Yeah. Back during Halloween. Yep, that was a classic. How much fun that was.
1: Yeah, that was like a that was a pretty standard Vegas trip, which is pretty awesome.
0: (laughs) But it was even like it was just crazier because we also wore costumes. Right.
1: Yeah, costumes on the strip. Yeah. I remember my sister got. Uh, they got told that she couldn't walk through the casino floor because they had face paint on. Yeah,
0: his sister did this, like, really creative, really beautiful...
1: Intricate, yeah.
0: Intricate um, Day of the Dead makeup like skull makeup and they told her that she wasn't allowed on the casino floor because they couldn't use like their facial recognition recognition software software. on her it was basically the same as like wearing a mask that you can't and you can't do that on the casino floor either well yeah what about
1: pantyhose (laughs) right (laughs) like you're gonna rob the place yeah
0: (laughs) but no that that trip was a lot of fun yeah
1: for sure.
0: So, I mean, this Halloween will definitely be di- be different. So. Yeah,
1: for sure. For sure. <laughs>
0: I was so excited to take our two-year-old trick-or-treating this year, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, Maybe just have him go from room to room in our house. <laughs> well, I
1: saw somebody who suggested a trick-or-yeet. So you go up to the door, or you go up to the end of the driveway, and the kids yell, trick-or-yeet. And then you as the resident yeet your candy and huck it at them I, I from mean, your porch.
0: I'm I'm down. We're
1: Socially t- distanced. Um,
0: yep, I yeah. like that idea. Yeah. I'm down. <laughs>
1: <sighs> We've also talked about setting up a. Adult station for our trick-or-treat.
0: Yeah, I really want to do that. Probably not this year because of COVID, but but hopefully maybe next year. I've always wanted to do, like, we have this, like, really nice front porch that's pretty spacious, and I want to set up, like, a table and chairs and, like, a drink station for all the adults that are having to walk around with all of the children. Yeah. Be, like, hot toddies, some hot cocoa with schnapps, maybe a shot. (laughs) So the adults can have fun, too. Right. (laughs) And I just know that I would want that as a parent. Right. It just seems...
1: But we haven't been able to go trick-or-treating yet as a kid, I know. Before we dive into it, I got the Presidential Trivia for this week. We've got a fan submission here. Appreciate it. Uh, Reminder, you can submit those online or, you know, hit us up on Facebook or whatever, and we got an email. Anyways, the Presidential Trivia this week... Is which president was the last to be a university president? Meaning, you know, they were the head official at a at a public university, a public institution.
0: Right. Any guesses? Well, um, I am going to guess FDR. That's FDR. Gonna be, that's going to be my guess. I think he was president.
1: Yeah, of he the seems university. like he seems like one of those guys yeah. that
0: would be. Yeah. yeah. So. I will find out, along with all of you, at the end of this episode, so stay tuned. So, I brought up Las Vegas, because this story is about the original Sin City, and it wasn't Vegas.
1: Ooh, Atlantic City? No. Mm. More south.
0: Way more south.
1: Like uh, I, I'm literally. I gonna... apologize for the East Coast listeners. I am not. I do not know my geography. <laughs> once you get west of, like mm, Wyoming, because yeah. we live there, yeah, <laughs> or east, <laughs> east, east of, of Wyoming, Wyoming. Yeah. yeah. So I apologize.
0: Well, the, the states just get so little, <laughs> right? Um. I'll, well, I'll tell you. It's the yeah. first sentence of this. My script. The town of Gerard of Russell County, Alabama, was created near the Chattahoochee River when a federal road was put in between Charleston, South Carolina, and Montgomery, Alabama. The Chattahoochee? The Chattahoochee. Oh. Way down yonder. (laughs) (laughs) The town of Columbus, Georgia, was right across the river from Girard, and the two towns were connected by a ferry. Columbus began to grow as a crossroad of industry and trade, while Girard became the town where everyone would go to drink, gamble, and fight. We're talking Columbus, Carolina, right? No, Columbus, Georgia. Columbus, Georgia? Yes. Not Ohio. Not Ohio. (laughs) Turns out there's a lot of, like, a lot of states have towns named Columbus. I
1: I think Idaho even does. I think it's a small one, but... Probably. Yeah.
0: So, at the turn of the century, Gerard's main economy was liquor. Many of the citizens took part in the manufacturing and trading of illegal corn liquor, but the town also had a legitimate distillery and whiskey warehouse that shipped liquor all over the southeast United States, and even as far as New York and Boston.
1: Yeah, but so, something sweeter about that illegal bootleg oh, yeah. liquor, you know? It's
0: something about how it's just not... <laughs> just just not quite regulated, yeah, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that just makes it a little... It gives oh, it that burn, yeah, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. it's just right? your belly. I, I, uh, you can call it a burn. I like to call it sweeter, you
0: know? <laughs> A bank was opened up in Girard to handle all of the cash that the liquor was bringing into the town. Like, this is still a small town, but... Mm -hmm.
1: Didn't even have a bank yet.
0: Nope. But they got one for the liquor money. (laughs) In 1915, Alabama's legislature overrode the governor's veto and statewide prohibition was put into effect. So, kind of like our episode, Carry A Nation, Mm -hmm. where some of these... Some of the states across the United States were putting in their own prohibition laws before.
1: Which which episode was that?
0: So that was episode eighteen. Hatchets and alcohol don't mix.
1: Hatchets and alcohol don't mix. That's right. <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, so there are many. She was s- crazy. She too. was. She was crazy.
1: It was a wild episode. It was un- unbelievable.
0: But yeah. Anyways, um, many many states were putting in their own prohibition laws right. way before that. It was actually prohibition was actually a very popular. Um, thought process? I don't even know yeah, what you... Yeah, it was
1: pop culture. Was yeah, and the time. It was a pop culture yeah. idea.
0: Yeah. So alcohol obviously was the, e- was the economy of Girard, and without it, many families went into bankruptcy and lost their homes. It didn't take long before citizens of Girard decided to just not abide by prohibition laws and continue the manufacturing and sale of alcohol anyways. Hmm. Anyone who tried to interfere with Girard's liquor were met with beatings, their house and property burned or destroyed, the hamstrings of their horses cut, and/or murder. Jesus. So quickly, it was just like, hey, mm. you're going to mess
1: with us? It sounds like very organization orga- organized crimey.
0: Yes, no, it, def- <laughs> it definitely is. It didn't take long for that to kind of take hold.
1: Yeah. I'd see why you start calling it the original Sin City. Oh,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, a side note: do you think the city of Las Vegas will try and sue us for using the original current see, clan Sin City? See, I
0: don't think so because like them Vegas. calling it the original calling Gerard um, the original Sin City was used in like almost every single book and uh, yeah. article or like yeah. the wickedest also, city I don't in the think, country. I think
1: Vegas is trying to kind of get away a little bit from
0: the Sin yeah, City. Yeah, and this title. town very much tried to um, <laughs> accept it. Yeah,
1: Embrace it. Embrace it. it. That's yeah, the word I'm looking were. for.
0: Yeah, um, if newspapers tried to write about the illegal liquor trade, their presses were often smashed. Some of the members of this citizen gang that would go mess with people that tried to mess with <laughs> yeah, liquor. But they're just
1: citizens, right? Yeah, yeah it's they're not just citizens. Crime, yeah, it's just yeah. Citizen. That's just
0: the name um, they came up with. So if any of them were indicted for crimes by the Russell County Ground Jury, they would often make bond. And then when they didn't show up to court, the bond was just forfeited and the case never went to trial. And that was that. Like, That's, nobody even went looking for them. A warrant was never put out for their yeah, arrest. probably because
1: these people were terrified to try and go... Right, yeah. ...destroy this economy. Yeah. That people, like, were quite literally willing to put their lives on the line right. for.
0: The Women's Christian Temperance Union, which Carrie Nation, like I said before, was heavily involved in, and the Anti-Saloon League were upset about this open defiance of prohibition and asked the governor of Alabama to do something about it. When the governor was slow to interfere, the Attorney General of Alabama, William Logan Martin, sent 40 hand-picked deputies into Russell County and ordered them to destroy over $1 million worth of illegal liquor. The deputies began to kick in the doors of illegal saloons and hauling their owners along with all of their liquor out into the streets. 106 barrels of beer, 46 barrels of whiskey, and 1,000 bottles of wine, gin, and other liquor were all smashed. The- That's a lot of booze. That's a lot of booze. <laughs> the liquor all began to run in a stream towards the Chattahoochee. <laughs> Men began to jump into the stream that they were calling Whiskey Creek and try to drink as much as they could before it all washed away down the river.
1: Oh my gosh, what's it called? Uh, Don... My buddy, you saw, always try to get me to drink the, the, the bar mat at the end of the night. Because it's got all the spilled liquor on it. That's I forget what they called it. That. I don't think they called it the Chattahoochee or was Whiskey the, River.
0: The Whiskey Creek?
1: The yeah, Whiskey Creek. Whiskey Creek? <laughs> no.
0: Uh, yeah. So anyways, they're like, no, not all the booze. Yeah. <laughs> One of the liquor warehouses was seized, and the liquor that remained there was guarded by the Alabama National Guard. The Alabama Chief Justice disqualified the Russell County Court and sent an attorney general named Hugo Black, who later became a United States Supreme Court Justice, to act as the chief prosecutor for the state of Alabama, along with Judge A.H. Alston, who put together a grand jury. Black and Alston quickly got to work. The city marshal was convicted of accepting bribes from liquor dealers. The sheriff was impeached and the mayor and board of aldermen all resigned. Anyone who had been found to violate prohibition laws were tried, convicted, and either fined or sent to jail. Satisfied with the law and order that they had brought to Gerard, Black and Alston left. About six months later, in March of 1917... <laughs> it
1: was all undone.
0: Liquor runners dug a tunnel through the riverbank that went underneath the floor of the liquor warehouse that was guarded by the National Guard. The liquor was then taken through the tunnel and then shipped down the river.
1: Oh my Where it could God. be sold. Nice.
0: The United so this st- was
1: all, like, seized liquor that they're...
0: That was, like, locked in a warehouse yeah. and guarded by National Guard soldiers outside, and they just dug up through the floor.
1: Jeez. I wonder if like that tunnel was actually dug, you know, like yeah, it, is that like just... folklore or is it like like where the national guardsmen like, hey. At least, like, dig a tunnel or something so we can have some plausible deniability right. here. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> we won't pretend... We'll pretend like we don't hear, like, your pickaxes or whatever coming through the floor. The
1: buckets full of shovel... Or yeah, and full you of sliding
0: boxes out. full of liquor across the floor yeah. towards the tunnel. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like in Men in Black when Will Smith's pulling the table up to him. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um, The United States then entered into World War One the next month, and Gerard was once again left to do whatever it wanted. So, like, okay, liquor's gone already, so there's nothing for us to guard anymore, and we've got more important things to do. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever. And liquor was made and sold openly in Gerard again in 1923. The same sheriff that had been impeached in 1916 <laughs> was reelected as sheriff of Russell County.
1: Yeah. When one yeah, of the- what did you expect? <laughs> yeah. Like the citizens are the same. Yeah, like- exactly.
0: It's all about going back to homeostasis.
1: Right? <laughs> <laughs> Get back to Norm.
0: Yep. <laughs> when one of his deputies... Was his name Norm? What'd you say his name was? I'm oh, sorry. Oh, I didn't say what his name was. Ah, I didn't write it down.
1: Dang it. That'd be better but if his name was back to, like, Norm. That would, back to Norm. That would
0: be pretty, pretty great.
1: <laughs> great campaign. <laughs>
0: When one of his deputies tried to close a saloon, the saloon owner shot the officer four times. Another man involved in Gerard's liquor business began to punch and kick the officer, all while another officer on the scene just watched it all happen. Eventually, the saloon owner and the bloodied officer were both taken to the county jail, where the officer was locked in a cell and the saloon owner was able to hang out in the jail corridor. Hmm. I never saw if the officer died. I assume so, because they said his wounds were left untreated. Yikes. But it didn't say if he actually died or not.
1: Yeah, it's like context, man. If you don't have like,
0: if your other, like
1: I, I'm all for like, so, like you see social injustice, standing up for someone, but also realize like if you if you're in a town where this is like acceptable, like realize that
0: you might, your life might. You need to go find some reinforcements before you take this out on your own.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or at least talk to some media who cares. Right. You know. Yeah,
0: get like a newspaper there to take pictures and write an article about it or something. After this incident, a large group of citizens asked the governor to help clean up Gerard. So, at least there are citizens that aren't part of the liquor business, are upset that their town is...
1: Kind of being run by organized crime.
0: Yeah, exactly. And they're like, this is ridiculous. Citizens. So the governor went to go speak in front of a crowd of 8,000 citizens, where he said that the people just needed to solve their problem through love. Well, then the crowd just started to boo. (laughs) They're
1: like, boo, what is this, the 60s? (laughs) We don't even know what that is yet.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They're like, oh, love? Really? Really? That's your best answer? So, hearing them boo, he's like, oh, wait, but I also have another idea. And then he suggested that Gerard be consolidated with the peaceful law-abiding town of Phoenix City, which the crowd seemed to like much more.
1: So that's kind of like Parks and Rec. When they have to combine with, when Pawnee has to combine with, like, their... Isn't
0: it, like, Eagleton or something <laughs> like that? Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. so Phoenix City... Sorry,
1: I've got, I've got a lot of pop culture references in no. this Apparently. one, too.
0: So Phoenix City is actually spelled wrong. Well, I mean, I guess, can you say something is spelled wrong if it's its name? But it's spelled P-H-E-N-I-X. Phoenix? But they pronounce it Phoenix. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Phoenix City. Yeah. To each their own. Yeah. I don't know if they're trying to <laughs> call it Phoenix. I don't know.
1: Trying to church. <laughs> Sorry, I must stop with the pop culture references of this. Episode.
0: Anyways, but Phoenix City was like this quiet, law-abiding town. And yeah. they're like, we, you know, you join with them. Maybe you guys will all, like, chill out, too. <laughs> yeah.
1: Maybe you'll see their civilized ways.
0: Yeah, see how they're <laughs> doing it.
1: <laughs> that just sounds like a great way to create animosity.
0: Yeah. So, in order to make sure that Gerard would peacefully transition into Phoenix City, the governor sent another cleanup crew in. Federal agents destroyed liquor stills that held over 100 gallons of liquor and 3,400 gallons of beer.
1: You will be, you will peacefully assimilate while I
0: destroy
1: your livelihood. But first, we gotta
0: get rid of the liquor. <laughs> and for a while, it seemed like the newly combined Phoenix City, so now both places are just called Phoenix City. Um, Was going to be a quiet, law abiding town. But in
1: 1925,
0: watermelon beer began to be manufactured and distributed from Phoenix City. And then it was corn liquor in 1927, and then morphine in 1931. There? (laughs) Yeah.
1: In Phoenix City, formerly Gerard?
0: Yeah. They're going bigger. (laughs) Jeez. I'll say. Is that where watermelon crawl comes from? I think so. yeah. Yeah. The Great Depression was also in full swing at this time, and the state of Alabama had much bigger problems to worry about than phoenix city mm-hmm. so in nineteen thirty two a man named Jimmy Matthews, who did laundry across the river at camp Benning Georgia oh. just across the, just a ferry right away yeah. began to gamble with the soldiers there. When he was able to stash away $11,000 that he had won from the soldiers, he decided to open up his own gambling operation in Phoenix City. He had slot machines, dice, cards, and a lottery that the locals called The Bug. Gambling and lotteries were illegal in Alabama, but it didn't matter. Hmm. There were even kids showing up to the saloon to spend their milk money on slots, with step stools installed in front of the (laughs) machines so it was easier for the kids to reach and play. (laughs) There's no rules. Yeah,
1: there's no rules. Literally none. Also, leave it up to a bunch of army soldiers to fund a...
0: (laughs) To fund a gambling operation? (laughs)
1: Yeah. Jeez. Sounds about right.
0: When concerns... So you'll notice a lot in the story, it's like... Liquor and gambling and drugs happen, and then there's also this group of concerned citizens are like, hey, somebody should clean this up, and then it gets cleaned for a second, and uh, then it's... Help! Help! And then it goes back to just being the way it was, plus worse, like... Um,
1: excuse me? It's bad again. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> These
1: people don't know when to quit. <laughs> so,
0: concerned citizens complain to the city, and the city council instead of trying to clean it up, just tries to explain to these citizens <laughs> that without gambling and liquor, there was no industry in Phoenix City. If they got rid of those things, the do you schools... Like where you,
1: do you like where you
0: live? Yeah, they're like, do you like your schools? Do you like your churches? Do you like any, like, public service that you have? Well, if you do, all those things will be taken away, and the town will go bankrupt if you take away liquor and gambling. <laughs> That's basically what city council said to these people. <laughs> And, uh...
1: There's no imports or yeah. exports. Oh, there is exports.
0: Hacker. Yeah. 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 Jimmy Matthews and his partner Hoyt Shepard quickly began to use their money to contribute to campaigns for politicians and buying off law enforcement. Eventually, there was no candidate in the county, and hardly even the state, that could run for office successfully without being backed by Jimmy and Hoyt. Hmm. Even if citizens tried to vote out the correct politicians, ballot boxes were routinely filled with the votes of dead citizens, and citizens down on their luck often openly sold their votes at the ballot box, usually for around $3, at a time when the weekly salary at the local mill was eight seventy-five.
1: Sounds Sounds like some things never change.
0: I was like, you're in the middle of the Great Depression. If you can afford to feed your family for a week by selling yours and your wife's votes, then you're going to do it.
1: Right. No, absolutely. I mean, that's like, I mean, it sucks. Yeah. Because, you know.
0: That's how democracy dies. (laughs) Right. Yeah, Yeah. 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 If a case against anyone was brought to court... For gambling or liquor, the district attorney usually dismissed the case based on the lack of sufficient evidence. Because the district attorney is obviously in the pockets of White Shepherd.
1: Hmm. Also, probably likes to live.
0: Yes, that too.
1: And's making a handsome
0: salary. Yep. If there was way too much evidence to use that excuse, where it's like, okay, you guys, I can't use the insufficient evidence mm-hmm. excuse. The witnesses were then intimidated with threats of violence to themselves, their families, or their jobs.
1: Which is also a crime. So it's
0: like straight up like organized crime.
1: Yeah. Intimidation
0: racketeering now.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Intimidate that is a crime. So having taken evidence that that's that's a big no no. So probably wasn't (laughs) the district attorney doing the intimidation, but I can imagine who. (coughs) Hoyt.
0: (laughs) Yep. When a lawyer named Albert Patterson moved to Phoenix, one of his first cases was to defend his client in a dispute about car repairs. Basically, I think he had his car repaired by a place in town, they didn't do a job, he didn't want to pay the money, that kind of thing. The jury came back with a verdict that was in favor of Patterson's client, but the judge refused to accept their verdict and forced them to return to the jury room until they came back in favor of the other party, and threatened to throw them in jail for being in contempt of court if they did not. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you get away with that. <laughs>
1: No, I definitely appeal that case.
0: <laughs>
1: <No>. <laughs> uh, let the record show that the jury literally found in favor for us. Well, so... And the judge said no. So it
0: said that... So they said, okay, we're in favor of this guy. The judge was like, um, no, you better go change that. And so then they came back with it changed, but was like, okay, we find in favor of this other person, but only in protest. They had added that to their verdict. Mm. And the judge said, you better go take that in pro- only in protest thing off or you're going to be thrown in jail for contempt of court. Mm. When Hitler... Cause I, I like will to, not take no for an answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When Hitler started to make his way through Europe during World War II...
1: God damn it, you want to talk about that guy? He pops up in every episode, I, I feel you, like. I mean,
0: he really almost does. Yeah. It was be- well, he's not a huge part of the story, though. It was becoming obvious that America could, could get involved soon. So Mm -hmm. it was kind of like always a thought when World War II started that we're like, "Eh, America's probably going to get involved in some point. So Fort Benning started to bring in even more soldiers for training.
1: Make money money. In
0: their off time, and usually right during payday, yeah. right after they got paid, soldiers often found themselves gambling and getting drunk across the river in Phoenix City. Uh,
1: on the first weekend after the 1st and the 15th of the month.
0: <laughs> they would often um, be served drinks by pretty girls that were roofied, mm-hmm. and then the girls would take all the money out of their wallets, and then they be put on a boat, but put on a ferry back to Fort Benning, and that's where they would wake up. Jeez. Um, If they weren't roofied and they didn't spend all their money on overpriced liquor and for gambling. rigged games yeah. during gambling, there were also prostitutes that usually clean the soldiers out of the rest of their cash at the end of the day. Uh, the to the be night, a
1: lucky one, to there was end actually up with a um,
0: there was wagons that would go up and down the streets with just prostitutes in them. So then oh. you could just jump in a wagon, do it, and then jump yeah. out, and the prostitute would just like keep going in a wagon. That's crazy. Yeah. So, and if these soldiers were ripped off, they couldn't tell anybody because all of this is illegal. hmm Like, who are you going to tell you got ripped off?
1: Yeah. It's you got com- ripped off. I, mean, yeah. I don't know if the UCMJ is a thing at this point, because I don't know <laughs> the history of the Uniform Code of Military Justice, but...
0: I don't think anybody in the military would be super happy that you went to Phoenix City. Yeah. yeah you just can't tell anybody. You just yeah. have to live with what happened yeah, to you. the
1: memories. You got the memories. Yeah. <laughs> Or if you got roofied, you got SLL?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Around the time of the Pearl Harbor bombing and the United States officially entering World War II, Secretary of War Henry L. Stimson was informed of the Fort Benning soldiers' trips to Phoenix City. Mm. Phoenix City was made officially off-limits to soldiers. However, since Phoenix City made about $2 million a month off of soldiers, (laughs) enough They were like, Uncle
1: (laughs) Sam, F you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) enough politicians were able to be bought off that the off-limit order was lifted. Yeah. Even when soldiers were found in the Chattahoochee River wearing cement shoes, and obviously, yeah, dead.
1: Not alive.
0: Yeah. The only explanation that military investigators received was, He was drunk and fell off the side of the bridge into the water. I reckon he was so drunk he walked through fresh cement before he fell in. Like, nobody said anything. Nobody got caught for all these soldiers, like, being found dead in the river.
1: That's crazy. Yeah. That's a whole other topic that is still relevant today.
0: Yeah, oh, we're still not talking about dead soldiers showing up and finding their killers? Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, still definitely a problem today. General George C. Patton was training troops at Fort Benning at this time, and was getting very fed up with his soldiers being taken advantage of and winding up dead. Mm. Doesn't really help with your war effort if your soldiers mm. are being killed at home. Right. Patton publicly threatened to take his tanks across the Chattahoochee and flatten Phoenix City. Patton never got the chance, though, having to lead troops in World War II, and Phoenix City again just continued to do whatever they wanted to do.
1: Sons of guns.
0: During the height of the war, with Fort Benning taking up to 80,000 soldiers at one time, Phoenix City was taking in $100 million a year in revenue for a town with a population of 23,000. There was a bank teller at almost every gambling table in town just to keep track of all of the bribes and loans happening almost constantly. Hugh Bentley had lived in Phoenix City his entire life, but the sporting goods store he owned was in Columbus, so he did his best to try to mind his own business and paid no mind to the gambling and racketeering that was happening in his hometown until he had two sons of his own. He began to become worried that his hometown was a poor influence on his children. Bentley began to speak to anyone who would listen, church groups, civic clubs, and veterans about organizing an effort to stop the evil that had taken over their town. Mm-hmm. Bentley eventually organized the Russell Betterment Association, or RBA, to slowly reform the town. Albert Patterson, the lawyer mentioned previously in the car repair case, Hmm. he joined Bentley to lead the RBA after he had finished defending the Phoenix City Kingpin, Hoyt Shepard, against a murder charge.
1: He was like, yeah, I got to do something to right these wrongs. Yeah, like, I feel bad about this. Yeah.
0: Well, so, I guess when he first took on White Shepard as a client, Hugh Bentley confronted him, and he was like, hey, I thought you were a good guy. Why are you defending this guy? And he's like, everybody needs a lawyer. He hired me.
1: Yeah. Like, 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 kind
0: of, like he almost has, like, a code of... Ethics. Ethics taking on White Shepard as a client. But that didn't mean he agreed with him.
1: Yeah, that's one thing—a th- big misnomer, I think, about attorneys, lawyers, lawyers who represent criminal clients. Yeah. It's like, like you got to understand that, like, whether you're innocent, innocent or guilty, you're still afforded the opportunity to have a have a right, a lawyer.
0: And that was kind of his take on it.
1: Yeah, no, that's well, I mean, that's not, every, not his yeah. take on it, but yeah. That's yeah. That's I mean. That's like yeah. I mean, it, it, whether they're shitty people or not, and I mean, unfortunately, you have a duty to a client. Like yeah, whether you agree or disagree with what they've done.
0: But yeah, I think he just was like okay. I now also, being his lawyer, I've seen even, like, you know... F- oh,
1: yeah, he probably got an eyeful. Yeah. And so he's like, full. Yeah. Or an full or all of us."
0: Yeah, we really yeah. need to stop this. This is yeah. way worse than either of us could have mm-hmm. ever imagined, mm-hmm. how deep this wormhole goes. Mm-hmm. Bentley's house was bombed, and Patterson's law office was set on fire. Others in the RBA were harassed, beaten up, and banned from several establishments in town. In 1952, the RBA placed members at each polling station so that they could watch out for voter fraud. When they tried to intervene, they were beaten up by Hoyt's gang members. Hmm. In 1954, Albert Patterson decided that he would run for Attorney General of Alabama on a hardline anti-crime platform. he had also been a former state senator and was an obvious choice for the job. Despite large amounts of voter fraud across the whole state of Alabama that was meant to elect Patterson's opponent... Patterson was able to win after the runoff election results came in. However, he knew that his life was in danger by winning the election, telling a church group, I have only a 100 to 1 chance of ever being sworn in as Attorney General. (laughs) On June 18, 1954, Patterson was working late in his law office. When he left his office, he was confronted by a sheriff's deputy named Albert Fuller, who begged Patterson not to testify before a Birmingham grand jury for a vote-stealing case that led back to the gang. Fuller even offered Patterson $30,000 to keep quiet. (laughs) Patterson decided to ignore Fuller and just kept walking towards his car. As he reached his car, another sheriff's deputy named Arch Farrell stepped out of the shadows, shoved a gun into Patterson's mouth, and shot three times. Mm. Alabamans across the state were devastated. They had finally elected attorney general... That they thought was going to clean up the state mm-hmm. before he even gets sworn in, he's, he's assassinated. Assass- he's assassinated. Yeah,
1: assassinated. Yeah.
0: Albert Patterson's son John went to Washington D.C. to try to meet with FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover and get him to investigate his father's murder. He's like, "Hey, like this has got national attention. This is yeah. a statewide thing. Like yeah. an attorney general has been m- assassinated murdered
1: by literally a gang."
0: But Hoover refused to see John, God saying that it was a state matter, not federal. He
1: sucks, right?
0: Yeah, we're not a fan. We're not fans of Hoover. Yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> Thank you for. Yeah, God, this guy sucks.
0: Despite that, there was political pressure on Alabama Governor Gordon Persons to do something. Governor Persons declared martial law in Phoenix City and sent in seventy-five Alabama National Guard soldiers under the command of General Walter J. Crack, Hannah. Crack apparently was his nickname. <laughs> to, to clean <laughs> That's up. That's
1: probably got a great story behind yeah.
0: <laughs> it. <laughs> to clean up. Phoenix City was once again declared off limits to the soldiers stationed at Fort Benning. Under the governor's orders, the National Guard shut down any establishment that had gambling, liquor, or prostitution. More than 80 people were either convicted or pled guilty to, pe- to being part of Phoenix City's criminal underground, including Hoyt Shepherd. So, they got the kingpin.
1: Pled guilty. Yep. In exchange for house arrest? Uh, yeah, I
0: didn't, I didn't write that down. Son of a gun. Albert Patterson's murder trial was still moving really slowly. The current Attorney General, Cy Garrett, who Patterson had ousted during the election, Mm -hmm. refused the governor's request for a special grand jury and prosecutor and instead appointed Arch Farrell, the guy that shot Albert Patterson, to handle the case. What? Yeah. He was a sheriff's deputy. He's like, okay, Sheriff, Deputy Arch Farrell, you need to handle this murder case knowing full well that he's the guy that murdered him.
1: Oh, God.
0: John Patterson, Albert's son, was disgusted and continued to ask for an impartial investigation, saying, Some of the people doing the investigating have the most to gain. They are afraid that if the murderer is caught, he will implicate somebody else. This thing is big. It's tied to voter fraud. With John Patterson leading the charge, he began to look into the corrupt underground of Phoenix City that was responsible for assassinating his father. A grand jury brought Attorney General Cy Garrett in for questioning on his involvement in election fraud. After his questioning, Garrett had himself committed to a Texas mental hospital, which ultimately declared him mentally unfit to stand trial when he was indicted for election fraud. So, that's one way to get out of going to jail. Jeez. The assistant attorney general, Bernard Sykes, was actually a good guy, and so now he's acting attorney general, and he removed Deputy Arch Farrell from office and had an honest investigation finally start into Albert Patterson's murder. The newly appointed sheriff, Lamar Murphy, located an eyewitness almost immediately to the murder that testified that he clearly saw both Fuller and Farrell approach Patterson before he heard gunshots. Hmm. Fuller and Farrell were indicted on murder charges. Good. The same afternoon that the eyewitness testified before the jury of Fuller and Farrell, he was found stabbed and later died in a hospital from his wounds.
1: Oh my god. Like, how is this not, like, clearly...
0: Like, oh, obviously this guy, like, this is... We've got the right guys.
1: Intimidating slash murdering witnesses.
0: right? Uh. Other witnesses began to pop up, though, and it was found that Cy Garrett, the attorney general that's now in the mental that's hospital, similar. had hired Fuller and Farrell to carry out the assassination. Fuller was eventually convicted, but Farrell, the guy that actually shot Patterson, was acquitted. What?
1: Because he was hired?
0: Not because he was hired. It was like still like, it's still like there still wasn't enough evidence. Fuller's fingerprints happened to be on Patterson's car, but Farrell's were not.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so he got away.
1: Mm hmm.
0: Even though like he's yeah. the one that shot. Yeah.
1: He has one person testify. Oh, I wasn't there he wasn't there. Right. No fingerprints on his car.
0: Right, exactly. No conviction. Yep. Jeez. John Patterson saw how big of a splash his father had made by being elected Attorney General. He's like, if my father did this by just being elected, without even actually doing doing anything because he was
1: murdered before he could get sworn in yeah and
0: now we've got these people indicted or convicted of election fraud and voter fraud and murder like think what he could have done if he had actually been an attorney general so john decides to run for his father's now open seat Hmm. and he easily won like landslide won He was a very popular attorney general uh, by cleaning up the state of Alabama from racketeering and eventually became the governor of Alabama in 1958. Hmm. And for all we know now, Phoenix City is a nice, quiet town (laughs) like they always wanted to be.
1: (laughs) (laughs) After one million years (laughs) of war. Jesus. (laughs) Like, could, could... Can nobody just, like, it's like punishing a child and then being like, all right,
0: you better behave. I'm not going to watch anymore, but you better behave. I'm going to leave you alone with all of these permanent markers and candy, but you don't touch either one of them. (laughs) So my sources for this story are When Good Men Do Nothing, The Assassination of Albert Patterson by Alan Grady. Slaying led to Sin City's Deliverance by Philip Rawls. The Tragedy and the Triumph of Phoenix City, Alabama, by Margaret Ann Barnes. And Patterson for Alabama, The Life and Career of John Patterson, by Gene L. Howard.
1: All right, so before we get to President's Trivia, I have updates from episode 40, Radioactive Oatmeal. <laughs> that was crazy, right? Yeah. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out. That was, uh you going wanna- to...
0: So that one was basically about how eugenics were a huge thing in America at the time, where basically if you weren't at least middle class, if you um, didn't have at least average intelligence, if you did drugs or um, were an alcoholic, we basically – you were thought of lesser and and we could – Um, there's this thought that basically you deserved whatever, you know, happened to you and experiments were ran on these people. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So like if you were incarcerated for any of those reasons, or if you were as a, as a minor put into an orphanage of some sort or, or some other form of mental institution or something else, then, then. Basically, you were fair game for research
0: or whatever. And actually, though, also on top of that, a lot of women that um, they thought were basically sluts or alcoholics, they would often sterilize them because they didn't see them as fit to reproduce. Yeah. And this actually carried on pretty. Because they late. thought of
1: those as un un. What do they call it? Like uh, like bad like bad traits. We call that right. undesirable, Undes- trait. yeah, undesirable traits. Yeah,
0: undesirable traits that they didn't yeah. want passed on to future Americans. Yeah. This actually carried on and it happened to a lot of minority women. So,
1: yeah. So, anyways, if you want more,
0: <laughs> listen to that episode. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, but this actually came out, this article came out today, the day that we're recording. And I will give it a caveat that it is in the, the very initial stages of investigation, but there is a Department of Homeland Security ice whistleblower and there's a nurse from one of the immigrant facilities that's alleging failure to follow covid protocol and that's a big part of the complaint but also that there's a doctor who his like his thing is he's the doctor who gives hysterectomies to women he's the uterus collector that's what she's cited as saying uh the the whistleblower who um, helped one of the government watchdogs file the complaint. Uh, this occurred in Georgia, in Irwin County detention at the Irwin County detention center. So, pretty crazy that that an allegation like that is taking place today. Some, so
0: are they saying that it's he's performing a lot of unneeded hysterectomies yeah. on women, which I'd assume so because so, getting a hysterectomy is a huge deal. There are many problems that you can handle without getting a hysterectomy.
1: Yeah. So his. So what her? I don't know if this was in the complaint, but basically what she's told the 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 government watchdogs is that you know obviously these these women um, are in the detention facility for reasons because they're they're. Illegal immigrants or or whatever, right? Right. However, they are you know they don't speak English, so this doctor is asking them questions, and then is pretty much, according to her, not you know he's just kind of going, all right, well let's just give you a hysterectomy if you've got some sort of issue down there instead of trying to treat you know whether it's an infection or some other some other issue. Right. So these women are are. You know they're in unsanitary, unsanitary conditions in a lot of these yeah. detention facilities. I mean, I don't care what your opinion is. If you agree or disagree, like you got to admit that America's a great country, not without our issues, and we do owe it better to human beings.
0: Right, human human rights. This is yeah. basic human rights. You yeah. shouldn't be There's sterilized that- without your full and. Totally acknowledged consent. Right. Because that's what hysterectomies do, for those of you who don't know, that completely sterilizes you. Yeah. And that is a huge thing to take away from somebody. Yeah.
1: Wow. But yeah, it's 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 pretty it's pretty wild. It'll be interesting to see if these claims have any merit in the very early stages of the legal process and I hope to have some updates as yeah, we progress. Yeah, definitely.
0: We'll definitely keep you guys updated and yeah. we'll keep an eye on that story. Yeah. So now we're going to do presidential trivia. Yeah. Jeremy's got the answer.
1: Yeah. So you guessed
0: FDR? I guessed FDR.
1: Or Teddy Roosevelt? You I guessed guessed Teddy uh, Roosevelt. No,
0: I guessed FDR. Oh, did you? Yep. Yeah. Oh.
1: Well, you were kind of close. The question was, which president was the last to be a university president? And the answer was Dwight Eisenhower. Nice. He was the president of Columbia University from 1948 to 1953. And apparently it was not a very amicable relationship. He So in his role at Columbia University, he didn't really do his job. (laughs) Because he was also busy... Nurturing foreign policy in New York and preparing for his political career, which was presidency. <laughs> and oh, by the way, he was the supreme commander of NATO.
0: Yeah, he was a little <laughs> distracted.
1: Yeah, so he was a man of many hats during those five years. So
0: probably needed one less hat. Yeah,
1: <laughs> or two or three. Yeah. <laughs> I mean Supreme Commander.
0: That's a pretty big job. That yeah. should that sounds like something that <laughs> that should be your only job.
1: That's your hat. Yeah. You're gonna have that in like family man.
0: Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Part time. <laughs> yeah.
1: So anyways, if yeah. you got any presidential trivia for us? Feel free to send it by any ways of...
0: You can send it to us through any of our social media accounts. You can also go to our website, americathebizarre.com, and fill out our contact form, or send us an email directly by sending it to bizarreusa at gmail.com. So we'll be looking forward to hearing from you, and we hope you stay safe.
1: Stay healthy. And
0: until next time, stay Stay weird, weird, America. America.